Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Reason, and it is part of a Saved Sermon series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. About it. Um, let's get into the Word today. This is our last <coughs> sermon in the series, Saved. And I hope you've in, in, in appreciated and enjoyed the series as much as, as I have enjoyed uh, sharing it with you. Um, we're going to read Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 28, and if you've been around church world for a few years, you know that, that uh, church people call this the Great Commission, and uh, um, that wasn't some, Jesus didn't call it that, and the New Testament didn't call it that, but we call it that, so it is the, it's the Great Commission that we all have, but we're going to kind of unpack it today, and I believe the Lord has given me uh, a way of looking at it differently. Then perhaps, and I, I'm, not, I'm not big on getting up and saying, everything you've ever known about so-and-so is wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm not big on that because everything you've known isn't wrong. But I, perhaps I can, uh, for those of you who've been around church for years, I can uh, illuminate some things that you haven't thought of it this way before. And those of you that are just coming into faith uh, kind of give you a more comprehensive... In fact, I believe what we're going to do, if God will help me today... It's going to be easier than you've thought to be what God wants you to be and to come into the purpose for which you are saved. Now, Matthew 28 says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. That right there tells you something about God's purpose for our lives. And that is that God wants us to have, God wants us to be in a big communities, but also in small communities. God wants to have people in our lives that we're close to, that we share the mission of faith with, and we share our Christianity with. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we have talked about uh, the, the, the rescue. Uh, we've talked about the, the reality of being saved, what, that, what, the, what the reality of being, being saved is. And, and today we want to we talk about the reason. The reason you are saved. Now, the reason, if you want to give you a very simple answer, the reason, the reason is found in the last verse, in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the end of the very of the end, end of the age. The Lord saved you because he wants to be with you. And he wants you to be with him. In John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. So God has saved you. The, the simple reason is because he wants to be with you always. But if you look at verse 16 through 19, he tells us how to be with him. He tells us how to live in his presence because God is a redeeming God. Think about this for a minute. He sent his son, his best, to earth to redeem us, which means to buy us back, to repurchase us so we could be with him always. He did that, so that's, that's what drives the heart of God. What drives the heart of God is to bring humans back into connection with him. And we have lost connection with God in the world that we live in. I think that's very evident, that we have lost connection with the divine love. We've not lost connection with divine wisdom. We've lost connection with divine power. We've lost connection with divine principles. We've lost connection with, with, lost connection with divine goodness. And, and so, so the Lord wants, Father, God, wants to bring us back into connection with him, so much so that he sent his son to die on the cross, and that's the core of the gospel message. So if I want to feel close to God, if I want to live in God's presence, I must become a part 
of, of the, the, the goal of redemption. I must become a part of that. And he says the way you do that is you go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, to, to help us understand what it's like to make disciples, I want to show you a quick video. Of, some of you saw it on Facebook. And perhaps I shouldn't have given you that sneak preview, but it's so good, you'll want to see it again. And uh, it's Eden trying to climb the stairs when he's nine months old. And I want you just to, th to think about how this could possibly define discipleship. For those of you that are visitors, I, I, my name is Pastor Phil, and that's my grandson, Eden. Now, right there, Elise, Brayden, Aaliyah, Sherry, myself, for a few brief moments, we represented a community of care, of protection, of accountability, dedicated to seeing Eden reach his potential. We were there to protect him if he lost his balance. But we wanted to draw out of him his nurture, we, nur we nurture his grit, his determination. He was, it, that grit and determination was begging for expression. But, but what does it have to do with Matthew 28 and the directive from Christ to his followers to go and make disciples of all the nations? I believe this. God has given every human the desire to climb up to him, to imitate his Christ. Go and make disciples is our call to be the encouragers and fellow climbers for every individual who will let us. I think some of us is going to be a little different look at how it works than maybe we thought of before. Don't miss the specific words of Jesus. The words of Jesus, go and make disciples. That, that doesn't rid us of the mandate to go and make converts or believers in Christ, but it makes it clear that getting someone to accept Jesus is not always where a discipling relationship starts. It starts, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, and there's so much to learn that is this typified by the life of Jesus and by the wisdom of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, Eden was learning to climb the stairs. He was interested in climbing the stairs, but he needed an encourager. He needed someone to help him, but not help him too much. You saw that one of our family members wanted to help him too much. And, and we had to stop them from enabling. And, and you have that. Every family has that person that you have to stop them from enabling, right? Uh, and he needed caring people who knew what the goal was. Billy Graham said the central theme of the universe is the purpose and destiny of every individual. Every person is important in God's eyes. And what every person is dealing with is important in God's eyes. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, talk about what discipleship is, because we want to unpack that as we move along. Here's the exciting thing about how Jesus told us to relate our faith. And here's why God saved you. God saved you. See, I believe it, uh, I thought it was the Crusades, but Jay, Jay corrected me, he thought it was the Spanish conquistadors who when they would, they would be, they were going to murder, kill somebody, they, they, would, they would baptize them first and then run a sword through them as they brought them up out of the water, is how the, how the story goes. 
And so if, if God's only purpose for us is to go to heaven and be with him, and that's the only reason he saved us is to go to heaven and be with him, then the appropriate thing for me to have done at your baptism was to hold you under longer. <sighs> no. God, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we are Christ's ambassadors. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. That's... Uh, that's kind of what happened in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, God looked at man that he put on the earth and said, I've given you dominance and authority over the planet. And then we gave that away to Satan. Jesus came and took it back. But he didn't say, I'm going to stay here and do the work. He didn't, stay, I'm, he didn't say, I'm going to stick around here and wield this authority. He said, I have all authority and I'm going to be with you. Pretty exciting stuff. And here's the exciting thing, though, about this, about how Jesus told us to relate our faith to others, is that we can start encouraging people wherever they are at. You're already getting this. I thought it would take me like 20 minutes, but you already, you already got it. So let's, let's have the altar call. Here's an example of the options available to us with people that we are daily coming in contact with. And right in this room, you're in contact with people right in this room that, that are ready to talk about one of these things in their life. And you're going to see the most important thing in this list that I'm about to show you or this, this circle of concern that I'm about to show you. This, I, maybe I'll call it the, the, the discipleship planets. We're about to show you the discipleship planets. The most important thing is, of course, receiving Christ as personal Savior. You're not, you're not defined as a disciple until you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But that is not where most people's discipleship starts. Let's, let's show them the discipleship planet, okay? <coughs> Here's eight or nine things that you can begin to help one another with. Bible engagement. You know, we have a lady last week, and I, uh, she accepted Christ as her personal Savior right here for the first time. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I stepped down off the stage and began to talk to her and found out that she's been in the church for a while, I don't know, maybe a year or a little less, already attended a small group. Went and, ha went and took a college course on how to read the Bible, like a philosophy course on how to read the Bible. Where did her discipleship begin? Did her discipleship begin last Sunday morning? No. Her discipleship began months ago. Some of you know who I'm talking about. You've already become her friend, and you've already poured into her life. And, and she, her, 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 uh, her discipleship began with obeying God and denying self. She went to church. I mean, pe people don't go to church because they're looking for the best show in town. I know, I know we do a pretty good show around here, but, but let me tell you, you, going to church is not in the same category as concerts, uh, uh, ball games, and, and, uh, and, and, and amusement parks. It's not in the same conversation. Well, we're going to go to church, we're going to go to Six Flags. You know, you just don't put those two things in the same sentence. Or we're going to go to a John Mayer concert or go to church. I think I'll go to church. Sounds like more fun than that. No, you don't do that. You, 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 we're not competing with the world's entertainment. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is we're tapping in to the God-shaped hole that's in the heart of every human being that says, I should go to church. I need to get some religion in my life. The Holy Spirit's on our side. So, so she began to obey God and deny self, Going to community group, going to church, taking, she began Bible engagement. She might have even got involved in serving God and others. She, I, I, I think she probably got involved in being transparent. She was in a community group. She might have gotten more emotionally healthy. She began to build some relationships. She began to seek God. She probably exercised some faith. And last Sunday, she received Christ. Amen. See, I want to take the fear out of discipleship. I want to tell you, discipling is, is very natural. It's not weird. It's very natural. In fact, I want to show you, I found a, a young man preaching a good sermon, man. A young guy, uh, like, had to be his first, has got to be his first church, but, the, but he, 
He's preaching this sermon on Matthew 28. And that's what I do sometimes when I'm studying a text. I'll see what other people are saying. And so I've, I ran across this, and he told this great little story that, that exactly illustrates discipleship. So I don't remember his name, but uh, we're going to play that video clip right now, this young man uh, pre- telling this story. Two weeks ago, story. Mary was in the hospital, and I was taking a taxi through the city. I was running across town to get some dinner for us, and I was in the taxi ride, and I started talking with the driver. And uh, I... We were talking about this and that, and he asked me what I did. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, really? Okay, what, what, what kind of church? And we got talking, and he goes, I, I just gave my life to the Lord a few weeks ago. I said, really? That's amazing. I, what happened? I, I, did you just start going to church? What, what was it? He goes, well, I, I like to eat at this place called Buffalo Wild Wings. And at this point, I had no idea where the story was going. And he said, I like to eat at this place called Buffalo Wild Wings. I have this waitress who's my favorite. And every time I go, she, she waits on me, and we talk about life and whatever else. And, and I've been going there for years, and she's been working there for years. And every once in a while, she invites me to come to church. And I always thought that the church was for religious people, and it wasn't for me. And... And so I never took her seriously, but she was persistent, but she was friendly. And she, every time I was in there getting a drink or eating some wings, she would, she would tell me about what she's doing at church and how she sings at church on Sundays. And he, he goes, this past Christmas, she invited me to come to their Christmas concert. And I went. I was just surprised at how friendly people were, how welcoming they were. So I kept coming, and I started to learn about the good news of Jesus. And meanwhile, we're getting close to the hospital. I'm getting ready to get out. And, and I just praised God as we finished up that ride and heard his story of finding Jesus in Buffalo Wild Wings. But what struck me about his story was that it was a waitress just serving drinks, serving wings, building a relationship with with someone as she was just going through life. Isn't that great? In in fact, uh, uh, I I don't know a lot about uh, 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 grammar or uh, so, so I, I'm not trying to sound intelligent about it, but I, I did study uh, that text a little bit enough to find out that, that the term go there, now some of you will know more about this than I do, but it was not an imperative. It was a participle, not an imperative. The word disciple is the imperative in the text. So you didn't know you were going to get a little class here today. But the the, the the word disciple is, is the imperative, and go is the participle, so it didn't mean, so here's what we've done in the church when I grew up, they'd get up and preach this text, and every young person who was serious about the Lord said, I got to go somewhere. That was the imperative, go, I got to go. I got to go to Bible college. I got to go to seminary. I've got to go to the mission field. I gotta, and the rest of them just just. just just go ahead and be mediocre. It's just a few of us who were serious about God. We, we heard go. We had to get away from our home. We had to go. We had to go. But it, didn't, it doesn't mean go. It means as you go. As you go. Make disciples! <laughs> it's not go! Make disciples. It's go as you go. Make disciples. <laughs> I gotta wake somebody up. <laughs> now, let me give you three things here today. Number one, who gets to participate in this adventure of making disciples? I want to give you an example. The most stark example I can think of that answers the question everyone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed. This is Mark chapter 5, verse 18. Now, this guy 
had been living in the cemetery and they couldn't keep his clothes on him. He was mentally insane a few hours earlier. (laughs) And he met Jesus. And Jesus delivered him from the demonic possession. And the Bible says that they found him clothed in his right mind. And he was so grateful that he came... He came and begged to go with him, it says. Jesus did not let him, but said, go to seven years of seminary and a three-year internship, and then go share with your family how wonderful I am and how I changed your life. No, no, Jesus said, Right then and now, there's no, there's, there's no big gap. There's not five verses explaining. It's just, but Jesus said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What? The guy was just days before, out of his mind, He was turned loose on his community to represent Christ. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Christ didn't say, follow me for a couple years, all those things I said earlier about seminary, read these books, take these classes, and I'm not downplaying any of those things. We we have classes, and we, we encourage you to read books, but the fact is we don't encourage people enough to immediately start sharing their experience with Christ. It indicates that me, that we, that to me, that we just might be confused about the phrase, go and make disciples. I think we've done three things to the phrase, go and make disciples. One, we have complicated how learning happens. We've complicated it. Doctor, the late Dr. Alan Ruff pioneered new research in the field of adult education and adult learning. And Dr. Ruff came up with a 72010 principle. Here's what Dr. Ruff came up with, and it's, it's, it's used in, in all over the, the world now. That 70% of our learning comes by doing. 20% of our learning comes through receiving feedback, informal feedback, coaching, and mentoring. Think of Eden back on the stairs. It would have done no good to send him to a class on stair climbing. He would not have accomplished a thing by going to a class and doing, a, doing an in-depth inductive study on climbing stairs. He needed to climb stairs in order to learn how to climb stairs. You need to forgive in order to learn about forgiveness. You need to resist temptation to learn about resisting temptation. (laughs) You need some people who will cheer you on. And you need to become a cheerleader for people in their struggles. That's how you disciple people. You come alongside them and you become a cheerleader for them in their struggles. You don't take their problems home with you because they're not your problems. You let them keep their problems. You let them keep their struggles, but you love them and you care for them and you give them God's word as, as the questions come up. 20% through informal feedback. 10% of adult learning occurs through conferences, seminars, courses, and sermons probably, he would have added. It's the one thing, if I, if I ever write a letter to my younger self, it will be, Phil, you place too much emphasis on the importance of your preaching in, in transforming people's lives. You enjoyed preaching. I like to preach. I love doing with the, what I'm doing at this moment. But I, I'm very realistic about how much it really changes your life. Your life will not change unless you change. I said, your life will not change unless you change. Your life will not change until you start doing some things differently than how you're doing them. And the only way you will begin to do things differently than how you're doing, if you're, if you're the average person, if you're like the average person, let me, let me stop right there, parentheses. 
There's always one or two people in every social group who get all better all by themselves. There's always that one person in the church, or two people, or three people, who disciple themselves. And it's amazing. It's a wonderful thing to see. But most of us, including yours truly, I have needed an army of people. And as I studied for this sermon, I realized, because I would always say to people that I really hadn't been discipled, I realized, yes, I have been discipled, that I've been discipled a lot. I've had a lot of counsel about a lot of things throughout my life. I remember my pastor, first of all, my pastor, Jolly E. Terry, every Sunday after church, he would say, almost every Sunday at least, Phil, you're going to eat lunch with us? I didn't know that was discipling, but now I know that's discipling. Are you going to go to lunch with us? And we would go to Pancho's, Mexican food. You could eat, all you could eat for $1.99. That's lethal, man. That's lethal. <laughs> I remember him telling me one day, and, and y'all are going to laugh. He said, you, Phil, you dress like an old man. He took, he took me to J.C. Penney's and bought me a suit that was fairly modern. He was discipling me. He was teaching me how to be a better person. He would, he, would, he would invite me to preach. He would, When I was 16, he said, can you take over the youth group? That was a disaster, but I, I did it anyway. <laughs> We've corrupted the phrase, make disciples. We've corrupted that phrase. We have made discipleship an achievement. Instead of, or the term disciple, not discipleship. We've made the term disciple an achievement instead of an identity. We, we, we will say, have, have they ever been discipled? Like, like, it, like there was a point where it happened. They got, they got discipled. No, you don't get discipled. You don't finish a course. And now you're all discipled. We've made it, we've made it an achievement. Have you been discipled? Nobody, no, you, you have not been discipled. Disciple is what you are or you're not. Disciple means learner in training. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. At 63 years of age, been a Christian since I was six, I am a disciple. I have not been discipled yet. I am a disciple. I am a learner in training in things that I couldn't hear 20 years ago. I can hear today because, because my will is more broken than it used to be. I'm more submitted to Christ than I was 20 years ago. I'm more submitted to Christ than I was five years ago because I am a disciple. I'm a learner under training. And I will, more and more and more, I'm getting better at listening to whoever God wants to use in my life to speak into my life and give me wisdom and truth that matches the character and life and wisdom of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> So we've made it, uh, another thing we've done is we've made discipling, we've made disciple a destination instead of a direction. We've made the term make disciples into a st series of steps. One can only begin after they get saved. I don't see it that way anymore at all. And churches, we, ha we have done this thing to you, to you and we we're still going to have classes, and I'm not, I'm not negating the need for classes. We're getting ready to do a new class called, called, called uh, First Steps. We're getting ready to get a new class. It's going to be four classes, but we used to really think, and we used to have this idea, we, we would have one and two-year plans that people will get them to go to this class and this class, and then, they, then we'll get them serving. They'll be serving in, in some area in the church, and they're giving their tithe and coming to church uh, uh, at least three, three times a month. They're discipled. They've reached the destination. No, discipleship is, disciple is not a destination. It is not a series of steps. It is a lifestyle. If it, 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 it we, we, here's what, let me, let me say it. I'm trying to think of how best to say it. We need to not make it a series of steps, but it is a way. Here's, here's how I need to say it. It's a way of orienting one's life. 
That's what a disciple is, Jeff. It's a way of orienting one's life. My life is orienting. If we could see those discipleship planets, if we should have put Jesus in the center, because of the, the planet of discipleship, it's orienting my life around the person and, and life and teachings and wisdom of Jesus Christ. It's a way of orienting your life. It's not a, it's not a destination. If you, a, great, a great read if you want to do more research on this. Read the book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism. St. Patrick did more than give us a holiday where we get pinched if we don't wear green. He did a lot more important things than that for us. Uh, St. Patrick saved Christianity in the Middle Ages by creating what he called, what they, we now call the Celtic way of evangelism. And what they did is they created communities in, in Ireland. They went to Ireland and created communities. And these communities... They invited people who were not Christians to come and live in the community and belong before they believed. And so they, they invited outsiders to come and live in the community, eat with them, work with them, and, and live with them, and study the Bible with them. And then later, these people would decide they were going to become followers of Christ, but first they belonged before they believed. And that is the biblical model, actually. That's more biblical than the model that says, You've, you accept Jesus, and now we'll, we'll, we'll accept you. The model that Jesus lived by was, I accept you, now will you accept me? Amen? <clears throat> So, how do you participate in the act of making disciples? I, uh, I, I really love Jack Easterby. You know, he's the character coach for the New England Patriots, and he's preached for us a couple of times. And the last time he was here, I, I asked him if he would give me some time and let me just sit with him. And I wanted to just pick his brain. I, I actually, I wanted to be discipled. This is really what I was doing. And, and I ended up having about four, four meetings with him. Uh, after April, and we would meet over at the Dunkin' Donuts at, uh, uh, we made in Coach Belichick's office, actually. <laughs> no, 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 no we, we don't get close to that. We, we would meet at the Dunkin' Donuts at Patriot's Place, and we would sit and drink coffee, and I would, I would come with a page of questions. And I, one of the things I asked him was I asked him about taking Christ to the public school. Because we know that's separation of church and state. Everybody's all sensitive about that. And uh, there are certain groups that try to go into the school or they try to have events for the people come and receive Christ. And I don't, don't, don't hear in this message any, any uh, um, downplaying of receiving Christ as personal Savior. That is, uh, that's, the, that's the goal. <laughs> that's always the goal. But he said, here's what, and he has a whole plan for doing this. He does this in various places. He said, here's what, here's what I do. He said, I bring the leaders together in the athletic department. I bring the leaders together in the athletic department. I set them down, and I say, okay, let's, let's list, let's brainstorm and come up with the top 10 needs of your, of your student athletes. And we write them on a whiteboard, the top 10 needs of your student athlete. And after we do that, he said, now let's prioritize them. What, what's the most important? Now, we, now we, we write them down again, but we, we put them in order of importance. And number one. Number one might be young men, young women who have no father. Since that's very prevalent, especially. Some of your best athletes come from broken families. They have no father. He said, so we start working on that problem of fatherlessness he said, at some point, someone's going to say, you know, we need mentors for these kids. We need men who will come and be mentors, and maybe some cases women as well. He said, that's when we go to the church. And we say, church, they need some men down at the athletic program to be mentors, to be big brothers. He said, he, he, he mentioned a Latin word that... Uh, uh, I believe it's ordo, ordo salutis, means the order of salvation. And he said, Phil, the problem is we do not respect the sovereignty of God in the matter of salvation. We do not respect the sovereignty of God. When we respect the sovereignty of God, we're willing to cooperate with God's order of salvation in people's life. You know, every once in a while you hear a story of somebody who proposed marriage 
on the first date. Right? It works out sometimes. Did any of you, anybody here like have a marriage proposal on the first date? Nobody. Oh, we got one back there. That, how'd that work out? What? Did it work out good? You, you st- y'all still together? Yes, okay, okay, good, good. See, I knew, I knew better than to say don't do that because I know it's going to work for somebody. But like 99.9.9% of the room didn't, didn't work out that way, right? You didn't have a proposal. And I don't want to have the hands of the raised, raised by those of you who tried it. And, I, you know... I, 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 Sherry tells me this story. I don't know if it was the first date, but Sherry, was it? This guy showed up and to a date with you, and he had a tuxedo on, I think. A tuxedo, a dozen roses, and a, did he have a ring? Is Sherry here? He had a ring and a dozen roses, but he had a bow tie on, I think you said, right? So it was like a tuxedo. <laughs> I don't know if, I hope that guy's not listening to the podcast, because Sherry mocks him, man, even to this day. <laughs> even to this day. <laughs> so you don't always get people saved on the first date. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you meet somebody on an airplane, you sit down beside them, share Christ. That's never happened to me that way. I've, I've had situations where two or three conversations I've introduced someone to Christ. It happened just recently. But usually it's a process. We used to have a guy. I lived in a very, it was a, it was a, a strange place, I guess. It, looking back, I never, it just hit me the other day how corrupt it must have been. Because my mother was always telling me these stories of people who murdered their loved ones. <laughs> in my community of Collin County, Texas. And Collin County, you know, Farmersville, McKinney, all these places. And, and I just had like three stories of people my mother would tell me murdered their loved one. And because they were belonged to the Masonic Lodge and the judge was a mason, they would get off. Because I would see these people in the community. And my mother would say, oh, they murdered, that woman murdered her husband. <laughs> you know, or that guy, I remember a guy named Lee Albrook who murdered his father. They, he and his father got in an argument. He went and grabbed a shotgun and killed his father. And uh, I guess he felt bad as a person. He got off at the court. He didn't spend a day in jail. And he got saved, though. He, he received Christ as his personal Savior. And, and in those days, we would go, we would sometimes, and I actually participated in this, and I never liked it, but we would go door to door and ask people if they wanted to be, uh, accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We would knock on the door, perfect strangers, and within like 90 seconds, you're supposed to get to the big clothes, and I never saw anybody get saved that way. I never saw anybody accept Christ that way. But, but Lee Albrook, this, this ex-murderer, was in, did one of these witnessing things one day. My mother used to love to tell me this story. He, he went to someone's door, and he knocks on the door. They come to the door, and he, I'm so-and-so. Would you like to receive Christ as your personal Savior? And they said, no. He said, well, go to hell then. <laughs> so... so don't practice that kind of evangelism, okay? <laughs> Acts 10, 36. Jesus. Now, now think about Jesus. If you were Jesus, I know, boy, if I were Jesus, I know exactly what I would have, would have done, uh, Paul. I, I, I would have been, you believe, I came all the way from heaven to, to be in this slum, you accept me, or I'm sending you to hell. I, mean, I, I that would have been. I would have preached that every day. Accept me, or go to hell, because <laughs> I paid a big price to be here, and the price I'm paying is not over. I see a cross in my future. <laughs> but you know, yes, yes, Jesus did say. He did say. Very hard, very hard for us to hear in this 21st century of, of, uh, of tolerance stuff. He said, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. If you don't believe in me, 
he said, you're damned. I mean, that, that, he did say that one time, you know. But mostly Jesus didn't say, accept me or else. In fact, he never said that. Acts 10.38, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about, he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Did they all get saved? No. No, they didn't all get saved. But they all got blessed by the goodness and love of God. That must be how God wants us to do evangelism. That must be how God wants us to bring, to be in people's lives. That must be what God is calling us to. That must be why he saved us. So we could be sources of love and goodness and redemption in this community. That must be the first order of business. Not that we ever forget that we want to be ready to tell them the reason we do it is Jesus. And we always want to be ready to tell them there's only one way that we can promise you eternal life and that is through Christ and through the cross. It's the only promise we can make that we cannot teach you that you can do moral, moral good works or, or compassionate good works and that's, that's enough. We're not teaching that. That's not, our, that. that's not our bottom line. But that is our calling. Amen? What's the secret to joyful and effective discipleship? Dr. Robert Coleman said, a disciple is a learner who's following Christ. There's a two-part answer to the question that I just asked you. What is the secret to joyful and effective discipleship? I'm going to give you the two-part answer in closing this morning. A, don't stop being a disciple. I love Isaiah 54. This is one of my favorite passages. I never had really noticed this passage before until one time I was in a meeting over in Bridgewater, and I was preaching, and I don't know why people were standing up and talking, I don't remember, but I remember a young man stood up, and he quoted this verse, and I've never forgotten it. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Think about that, what this guy just said. This is, I, this is, you're going to be surprised at who actually, who's actually speaking, whose voice this is. I'll give you a clue. It's not Isaiah. Isaiah wrote it. Isaiah was the transmitter of this, but it wasn't Isaiah. I love the New American Standard Bible on this. I just like it just says it a little differently. <clears throat> the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen is... As a disciple, in other words, I am able to I'm able to teach and instruct others because I am being taught. I have the tongue of a disciple because I have an ear of a disciple. That is just incredible to me. That's incredible. If you want to be humble, read the rest of Isaiah chapter 50, and you will see that the person who's talking is not Isaiah, but the person who's talking is Jesus. Jesus said, I offer words of encouragement and words of discipleship. And that's what we're doing. That's what disciplers are. We are encouragers. We are we're tapping into the God-shaped vacuum inside of people. We're, we're tapping into their desire to do good and be good. They have that within them. The Christ is a light that lighteth every man in the coming of the world. They have this inborn desire that they want to be more than they are. They want to be, they want to be helpful. They want to be kind. They're born with this. It's not because they got saved that they have. It's, they're born with this. We're born with this. The other day, I'm the other day I'm at Starbucks and I'm and a guy walks over and says, "Can I borrow your phone charger?" And I, it's unexplainable to me 
how good that made me feel that I could help him with a phone charger because I've been in that situation many times when I didn't have my phone charger and my phone was dead. And, and this guy took my phone charger and went across. I didn't know if he would ever bring it back, but he goes and charges his phone up and he wasn't especially, uh, didn't, wasn't effusive with praise or anything. It just made me feel good. Everybody's shaped like that. Everybody has that thing in them. Unless it's been squashed by hurt and pain and bitterness, which it may be, that may be part of your discipleship, is to help uncover the latent desire that people have to be better than they are. It's fun, man. It's fun when you become a developer of people. And you don't just have this deal that you're trying to bring them to. You're not just trying to sell them something. You're not just trying to sell them a new religion. But you're trying to develop them and you care about them. And at some point in their struggle to be better, they're going to say, I need some divine help. And you're going to say, great, I got just what you need. You need to accept Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. You need to receive his spirit into your spirit so you can have the strength to do what you know you need to do and be who you know you need to be. It's so exciting. So, number one, Don't quit being a disciple. Number two, be, don't, disciple alone. I don't believe you can follow Christ in this matter of bringing others along and not be a part of a church. Now, my church may look different than this one, but you'll be a part of a church. Henry Blackaby said, a disciple is one being taught by many means, intentionally in a specific direction. Steve Murrell said, discipleship is following Jesus, fishing for people, and doing that in conjunction with others Don't disciple alone. Become a networker. When you meet somebody, immediately rack your brain and think, who else would be good for them? I said, when you meet somebody, even if it's after church this morning, and you meet a new person, you meet a person who visited us today, think, who else would be good for them? Who else would be, who who might be better for them than me? And become a networker. Remember, how about, you know, I like the term culture of accountability, but I have to admit it doesn't sound fun, but rather oppressive. It's like, what are you doing eating that donut, that croissant? I thought you were doing keto. You know? So that's a culture of accountability. How about a culture of caring and concern? How about we call it that? How about a believing that God saved us to belong to a community that gives a, a darn about how, how all the facets of our lives are, are, are going, and if necessary, will go to Gethsemane and sweat it out for me, even hang on the cross for you, figuratively speaking, of course, because they are so glad to be saved, that they have prayed, oh God, give me the ear of a disciple so I can have the tongue of a disciple so the people I'm connected with won't just feel cared for. They will actually be cared for. And not only cared for by someone who is clueless, but someone who is intimate enough with Jesus that they're able to give counsel and wisdom that is grounded in the wisdom of an eternal and almighty God and direction that functions to redeem my sorry life or your sorry life from the bad decisions you've made in the past. Now, in conclusion, I want to say this. Hopefully, I've demystified the term discipling today, discipleship. But that in itself won't be all that helpful if we don't begin to challenge the great American idol of privacy. I can't take away the terrifying idea that you have to win a complicated theological argument with people around you, or I can take away, I meant to say. I can take away the terrifying idea that you have to win some complicated theological argument with people in order to get them saved. I can take that fear away from you because you don't need to do that. Most of us are being called to others in a way that's uncomfortable for us. That's, That's what I need you to challenge today in prayer. Challenge that part of you that protects your privacy. Challenge that part of you that goes home and pulls the gate up over the moat with the alligators in it. And nobody ever comes over. I need to challenge that part of us. Most of us are being called toward others in a way that will make us uncomfortable. 
I need you today as I close this message. This is really an important message. Whether I delivered it well or not is beside the point. It's really important. But the purpose of this message is lost if you don't challenge your own willingness to get out of your comfort zone. Your own willingness to challenge your own need for privacy. The American idol is privacy. That waitress at Buffalo Wild Wings got outside of herself. I understand our dilemma. I will happily hold up in my study for hours on end to preach a sermon. But I'll fight with myself for two days about sending a text to that person in the community that everybody in the community knows is in trouble and in controversy. And it'll take me two days to get up the courage to send them a text and say, listen, I'm praying for you. And if you'd like to get together, I'm available. Because I had this elaborate conversation in my brain about what might happen with that text, where it might go, and who might read it, and what that person may think about me. And that person may think that I think this, and I think that, and I think the other. And God says, shut up and do it. Will you go to prayer right now and challenge your idol of privacy like I have to do when I need to go into another person's space or bring another person into my space to share my Christ-centered salvation? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your people that we will dedicate ourselves to being disciples and being evangelists who share the good news in, in, in every single way, not only with the message that Jesus came to die for our sins, but including that, but also with the message that every facet of your life is, is available for redemption by what Christ did, your relationships, your emotions, everything is going to be saved by the power of Jesus Christ. I want our prayer partners to come right now. While they're coming, I want you, you have this great opportunity to come forward and pray for the person. I want you to pray for the person that you're going to invite to Christmas service. Think of the Buffalo Wild Wings illustration. I want you to pray for the person that you're going to invite to the service. And after you're done praying, There's going to be people with iPads out there, out in the hall outside, or you can go to Connection Central. And I want you to sign up to bring one, serve one. Everybody say, bring one, serve one. I want you to sign up for bring one, serve one. And let's take this sermon, and let's don't just make it informational. Well, pastor said that cool thing about the word go. I never knew that before. I feel so, I feel so mature now. <laughs> no, that's not maturity. That's just your brain got a little more information. No, maturity is when I can... Maturity is when you can climb the stairs without assistance. Maturity is when you can go get someone and bring them to church. That is discipleship. So I want you to pray about that. You need God's help as I do. So I want you to come down and I want you to tell these prayer partners the person that you're praying for. If you don't know, just say, I don't know yet, but but I want to just have a quick prayer. It needs to be very quick because if a lot of people come, there won't be time. Just quick prayer about that God will help you to be his evangelist and then go sign up for which service you're going to come to to serve and which service you're going to bring one. In Jesus' name, God bless you.